shift that that way a little bit. All right, well, if you have your Bible, we are going to look at uh, two verses tonight. That is if I can unlock my iPad. All right, so Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going. Um, and what we're, what we're planning to do, or what I'm planning to do, is over the course of... Um, over the course of however many weeks it takes us to get through it, I don't really have a, a time frame. We're going to take uh, Matthew 5 through 7, um, and we're going to basically unpack this and, and look, at, um, look at what Jesus intended uh, for it. So tonight what I want to do is I, uh, we're just going to look at two verses, and then we're gonna, I'm going to give you some introductory material that, that's going to kind of lay the groundwork uh, for what we're going to do over the rest of the summer um, and probably into the fall. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got this new thing where I like to just take stuff and just spend years in it. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 the Holy Spirit put it in there for a reason. So uh, we're, we're going to go with it. All right. So Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 1 and 2. Um, real simple verses. It says this. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, um, so some, uh, some introductory material. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most well-known, most well-loved, and most misunderstood sermon that's ever been preached. Um, St. Augustine, he was an uh, early church father. He was, uh, I, I think he lived in Africa, Bishop of Hippo, I think it was his title. I, forgive me, I don't remember exactly. Um, he described it as a perfect standard for the Christian life. The Sermon on the Mount greatly influenced Mahatma Gandhi. So all of the things that he did in, re, in regards to his, um, his stand against England when he was trying to get freedom for India, he was influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it also has its detractors. There was a guy named Nietzsche who absolutely hated it. He thought uh, Nietzsche thought it promoted a slave mentality. Um, and eventually, Nietzsche's teachings, they came to their awful fruition in uh, Germany in the 1940s when Hitler rose to power. Um, and, and so what some folks did is they actually took the Sermon on the Mount because they wanted to stay Christian, but they also wanted to side with Hitler. And so they rewrote the, the Sermon on the Mount so they could be both Christian and Nazi at the same time. I, I don't quite understand how that works. Um, but, but that, that's kind of what they did. It is the best sermon. It's the best sermon ever delivered because it was delivered by Jesus Christ himself. I don't think you can get any better. I mean, I love Charles Spurgeon. I love uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Their sermons don't even begin to compare to, to what Jesus Christ did. Um, there is no other passage of scripture that should cause us to reflect and self-examine like the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and so... Um, basically what's happening here is if you go back up into Matthew chapter 4, you're going to see that Jesus has just started his, his public ministry. He's going out, he's preaching. Um, he, he, he had been baptized by John the Baptist, and so he started doing his, his public ministry, and he's traveling all, into all the cities. He's preaching the, uh, the message of the kingdom. He's healing people, and as word is getting out about this great teacher who's going around and healing people, large crowds are starting to, to form. They're coming and they're bringing all of the sick people and all of the, uh, the lame people. And, and I'm not talking lame like, you know, like, eh, that dude's lame. I like guys, you know, legs all jacked up, that kind of thing. Um, it, it's in the Greek. 
right? Trust me, I'm a Greek scholar here. Y'all should know that by now. Um, but, you know, all of these people were coming. And, and, and so while he was doing this, Jesus needed to get away with his disciples because what he was doing was he was preparing them for when he wasn't going to be there. Uh, and so Matthew chapter 5, 1 and 2 tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw all of these people come and he said, time out. He, he pulled it like a Zach Morris, time out, broke the fourth wall. And, and it was, um, what, what are you shaking your head for? That's okay. That's okay. All right. Um, but he, he went up, he went up into the mountain and, and, and he gave word to his disciples. He said, listen, I'm going to go up in the mountains. I'm going to chill out for a little bit. Why don't you all come and join me? I got some stuff I need to teach you. And then once that's done, after we've had our little, uh, little getaway, then we'll come back down and we'll minister to these people. Uh, it, it is basically how it, how it looked. And, and what he was doing was he wanted to let them know what it meant to be a disciple. Like, if, if you're going to follow me, this is what it has to be. And he was giving them, um, he was letting them know what life in the kingdom of heaven was going to look like. Um, and, and so the Sermon on the Mount, it's found uh, in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Um, and in it, Jesus gives a number of pithy statements. Like if you read through it, you, you can see it's like these, um, for lack of a better term, these coffee cup verses that you know, look good on a coffee cup. They look good on a, you know, a floral picture that you'd give out on Mother's Day, all of those types of things. And, and part, of the reason, um, part of the reason as I was preparing for this, some writers said that the reason they has these pithy statements is because Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Meaning, he would go to one city and he would preach, and then he would leave and go to another city and, and basically preach the same thing. He's kind of like one of the, the circuit-riding Methodist pastors um, from, the, from the 1800s where he would just travel uh, a circuit. Um, and, and what he needed to do was he needed to uh, give them statements so that after he was gone, they had something to, to remember him by. And it's much easier to remember one or two sentences than it is to remember you know, a half an hour because I guarantee y'all don't remember half the stuff I said this morning, right? If you remember that. <laughs> um, another writer said that, um, that the reason it, when you read this, it, it's these short little nuggets, is because when Matthew was writing the Sermon on the Mount, when he was transcribing it, he basically distilled the ideas down so that it was easier for his readers to, to follow along with. Because when you look at this, Reading chapter 5, 6, and 7, it'll take you maybe 10 to 15 minutes. It's, you know, that seems kind of strange that Jesus would climb a mountain, gather all of his boys around him, and, and tell them for like 15 minutes and be like, all right, we're out, let's go. Right? It, this was probably several hours, maybe even several days, but Matthew, when he was recording it um, through, the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, he distilled it down so that it was easier, easier for the readers to go. But regardless of, regardless of the reason that, that it's written the way it is, each of these statements is jam-packed with an enormous amount of meaning. Like um, one, one, one writer that I read said, you can take each sentence and, and dive into it and never fully understand everything, every implication and every uh, thing that is, is in each one of these sentences. Just to give you an example, I, I bought a book to help me prepare for this. This is, uh, in your Bible, it's maybe three pages. The book I have is like 150 pages. Just, you know, just diving in and trying to explain and, and, and all of those things. Um, so, and basically what it does is it, it, the Sermon on the Mount is how we as Christians are to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
Um, and that right there, the kingdom of heaven, I, I don't have my slides tonight, but um, I will next week. Um, that one phrase is repeated over and over throughout this sermon. Uh, and we're going to look at some examples here. Jesus wanted to drive home that what he was talking about, that he was talking about the kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. And he, he was trying to get that across because, um, as we've seen in uh, the different things that we've studied together, the Jews were expecting a conquering Messiah who was going to come and set up a physical kingdom. And that's why the religious leaders were so angry at Jesus that he, you know, he was claiming these titles for himself when, um, when they saw him because they were expecting him to come in and overthrow the Romans and, and set up a, a physical kingdom. Even his disciples um, we're, we're expecting that, even as much as, uh, or even as early, late as Acts chapter 1 is when we looked at. Um, but what, he, what he's setting up is a spiritual kingdom that's made visible in the church. So as, as the body of Christ, as, the, as the, the church, we are the physical manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. Um, so all throughout, the, uh, all throughout Matthew 5 through 7, there are a number of that, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, is repeated over and over again. So let me just give you a couple examples. Matthew 5, verse 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Uh, Matthew 5, 19 and 20 says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You're starting to see a pattern here. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. One of, the, one of the things that I was reading in preparation for this is there are some people who try to differentiate between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. They're the same thing. They're, they're, they're synonyms. That, that those terms are synonymous. And Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So that phrase, kingdom of heaven, is key to what we're going to look at over the, the coming weeks and what Jesus was trying to drive home uh, to his disciples. Any, any questions or any comments in regards to that so far? I, I know I'm kind of throwing a lot of stuff at you, talking pretty fast. but All right, um, so now the, with the re remainder of our time, um, we're going to look at the content of the sermon and, and how it's, it's broken down. Um, the different, different people break it down into different sections. Uh, there's a, a guy, the, the book that I've been reading, um, John Stott. He's a, a pastor from England. or he was, I don't know if he's still alive or not. So we'll, we'll say he is because that sounds better than he. No. Anyway, um, he, he breaks it down into to seven different sections. So that's what we're going to look at here. Um, and even though the Sermon on the Mount was recorded and, and delivered, delivered and recorded several thousand years ago, you know, there, there are some people who are like, well, that, that sermon's, you know, two, three thousand years old. Is it still relevant for today? And the answer is absolutely. All right. Because, again, um, it's being delivered and it, it's given to people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not just citizens of Jefferson County, West Virginia or Berkeley County, West Virginia or wherever you may, you know, because we're on we're on Facebook now. Um, 
wherever you may be watching from. For, for believers, these are the instructions, these are the, the expectations of those of us who, called it, who are going to call the kingdom of heaven um, our, our eventual home. Um, this series, uh, again, I don't have my slides, but um, this series is going to be entitled Divergent because um, the, the, the teachings in the Sermon of the Mount are very countercultural, all right? Not, not to the point where we're like anarchists, but when you, when, when, you dig into, when you dig into here and compare that with, with what culture is teaching people, this is how you're supposed to live, this is how you're supposed to think, the, the, the teachings of Jesus actually fly in the face of those things. And so to be divergent means to go a different path. And if, if, if we are following and trying, doing our best to try to live out these things, our, the, our lives are going to look very different than, than the people around us. Um, but anyway, so, that, so the, the first section, uh, the first section in the Sermon on the Mount, we find it in Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 3 through 12, and that deals with the Christian's character. Well, so the, the marks, um, the, the, the qualities of, of a Christian's conduct and character, particularly in relation to God and man. This, this section is, is sometimes called the, well, it's not sometimes called, it's always called, the Beatitudes, all right? Now, I've even heard it called the beautiful attitudes is kind of how they uh, got that. And, um, you know, you can have all kinds of different uh, iterations. I've seen people take, like, little cardboard cutouts of insects that sting you, and they're like, the Beatitudes. And, all right, we're not going to do that. Um, but it, it tells us how we're supposed to live in relation to God and how we're supposed to live in relation to mankind. And it also describes the blessing that's going to come as we're trying to live those things out. So this, I mean, these, these verses here, five, uh, or 3 through 12, give us some you know, very specific, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. You know, um, none of them are like, hey, you know, do this and you're going to get rich and wealthy and have your best life now. You know, it's, it's none of that kind of stuff, but there are some definite blessings that are included there. The second section... Matthew 5, 13 through 16, uh, deals with the Christian's influence. Uh, and, and basically, uh, that, that particular section, it, talk, it builds off of the first one. Uh, and it shows the impact that we, we as Christians, that we as believers will have on our culture around us if we're living out um, verses 3 through 12. So if, if, we're, if we're doing our best to live these things out and, and, and make them a part of our lives then we're going to have this influence on our culture, uh, and that's described there uh, in verses uh, 13 through 16. The third section deals with the Christian's righteousness, uh, and that's found in, in a really long section, Matthew 5, 17 through 48. Um, this section describes how a Christian is to interact with the moral law of God. Um, there's a lot of talk as to whether uh, now that we, we live in the New Testament and we, you know, Jesus has come and died and all that, are we still required to follow the moral law that God gave in the Torah in the first, uh, the first five books of the, the, the Bible? And the answer is yes. Now, I mean, there's, there's certain things like the shellfish, like I'm going to eat some shrimp. I mean, if I see some shrimp, I'm going to put some shrimp away. All right? that, you know why they don't have the all-you-can-eat shrimp at uh, Red Lobster anymore? This guy. All right? Um, I, I, you know, they, I heard the, this is totally an aside, but the president or the CEO of Red Lobster was like, yeah, you know, we, we could do the all-you-can-eat shrimp. It wasn't the first plate or the second plate that hurt us. 
it was the third and the fourth plate that, 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 you know, that started to kill us. That's why they don't do it anymore. Um, but Jesus, you know, in this passage, Jesus talks about that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And, and, and so what he's saying is, and he takes all of these different examples. There's, um, I don't think I wrote it down. Uh, actually, six illustrations of what it, li- what it looks like to live in light of that law. So we're going we're gonna to look at each one of those. Uh, the fourth section, uh, getting into Matthew chapter 6, uh, 1 through 18, deals with the Christian's piety. How we're, how we're supposed to uh, carry ourselves. Um, we're not to be hypocritical like the Pharisees. Or we're not to have a, a sense of mechanical formality um, like pagans do. But we're, we're supposed to live a, with a, um, a sense of sincerity so that when we pray, our prayers are sincere. And the way we carry ourselves is sincere because we are um, living in the presence of God as a kingdom there. Section 5, um, Matthew, 16, I'm sorry, Matthew 6, 19 through 34, uh, deals with the Christian's ambition. And... Um, Rather than seek worldly possessions and, um, and, and materials, which seems to be, I mean, that's, that's the American dream, right? You want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you want to amass as much stuff as you can, and be as wealthy as you can. And, um, you know, even Dave Ramsey is all like, you know, you live like, I don't even know what he says. I, I, I hear his voice. I'm like, because ah, I'm afraid I'm going to get sucked in. Um, I don't want to be in the cult. I really don't. He's probably watching right now. Him and Joel, they get together. <laughs> um, but you know, what, what Jesus is teaching us here is that um, our desires and ambitions should be the, for the furtherance of God's kingdom rather than for the furtherance of our own kingdom. Right? We, 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 we try to um, live in light of the fact that all of the things that we have are used to spread the gospel. Uh, section 6 is um, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 20. Uh, And that discusses the Christian's relationships. Uh, Jesus teaches that we are to, uh, and this is a big section, there's a lot lot packed in here, um, that we're supposed to serve our brothers and sisters as opposed to um, pointing out their flaws. This is the, uh, uh, I I used to listen to a band um, growing up, actually I still listen to them. Um, There's a band called Plank Eye. um, And Matthew chapter 7 talks about having the, that you go to your brother and you're like, hey, get the splinter out of your eye when in reality you've got a, a log stuck in your eye. Uh, it, it, that's, that's that passage there. That's where Plank Eye got their name. Anyway, um, we're, you know, we're not supposed to serve as their judge. Um, we're always supposed to be bringing our request to God. We're suppo- and we are to be aware of those who seek to keep others from entering the kingdom um, by marking them as false teachers. You know, there's... Um, uh, the Bible's very specific when it talks about people who are trying to lead others away for their own personal gain. Um, and, and we're supposed to be keeping an eye out for that. And then finally, the last section, um, Matthew chapter 7, uh, 21 through, I, I believe, 29. Yeah, um, through 29, deals with the Christian's commitment. And what he's talking about here, John Stott, the guy whose book uh, I've been reading, um, John Stott writes that it's not enough to call Jesus Lord or just listen to his teachings, but you have to believe what you're saying and you have to actually do what you hear. Um, And and a person's eternal destiny hangs on this commitment. Um, And he points out that sadly, there are churches full of people who will come in and they'll nod their head and they'll say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and they'll hear the preaching and then they'll walk out the door 
just as lost as they were when they when they walked into the into the building. Um, and sorry, um, you know, it, it basically, you know, it, the the commitment that you make to those things is is going to determine your eternal destiny. Um, so one of the things that we'll discover as we study through this portion of scripture is that it is extremely impossible. Like I like that uh, that adverb or adjective I had. Extremely impossible for us to live these things on our own. Jesus even points out that unless your righteousness is that of the fair, the scribes and the Pharisees, you have no chance of getting to heaven. Right? And so he he lists out all of these things. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to be this. You got to do all of these things. And you look at it and you go, you know, one, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to wear yourself out trying to achieve this, or you're going to look at it and go, well, that's impossible. And you're just going to, you know, totally forget and, and, you, and you're not going to want to even attempt to do it. But here's the thing. When Jesus was doing this, he knew that it was impossible for us. Living, living up to the standard of the kingdom of heaven is impossible outside of Jesus Christ. Until we're born again, and we're going to look at some verses here in just a minute. Um, until we're born again and we, we receive the Holy Spirit, we can't do this of our own power. The things that Jesus, the standard that Jesus is laying out here for being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is not a bootstrap kind of deal. Right? Um, and, and we'll see like um, one particular one, in, it talks about um, uh, adultery begins in the heart. You know, and it says, you know, the Bible says... Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Jesus goes, but I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already, you've already done this in your heart. And you're like, well, crud, man. I'm, you know, you, you either like, well, you either build up this self-righteous attitude, like I've never done that. You know, I keep my eyes on the straight and narrow all the time. I don't, you know, there's a chick. Oh, look at that. You know, I'm, I just said chick, didn't I? I'm in so much trouble now. <laughs> anyway, um, but outside of having the, the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to do that on our own. And, and that's, that's what Jesus was trying to, to lay out for his disciples, is that it's through the Spirit that we can live in light of the kingdom and strive every day to become more like Jesus. Uh, let me close with these verses. This isn't from Matthew. This is from uh, John chapter 3. He's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. All of the things that we're going to look at here over the, the next couple, few weeks or many weeks or however long it takes us to, to get through it, all of these things are impossible for us on our own. But through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to do them. So, any any questions? Any thoughts? I know that I went I went through that pretty quick. Um, I'll be happy to share them again with you later if you're interested or didn't get a chance to jot them down since I was talking so fast. So, any any final words? No. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and we will uh, we'll close in prayer. Thank you all for coming this evening, Father. We thank you for uh, the 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 Sermon on the Mount, Lord. We thank you for. Uh, the, the things that, that your son laid down for his disciples, laid out for his disciples as to how they were to live. And even though it is Im impossible for us to do it on our own, we know that through, through Jesus's, Jesus Christ's work on the cross and through the uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to live in light of that. 
And Lord, I pray that uh, as we begin to live these things out in our lives, that we would have a, a positive impact, a positive influence on our neighborhoods, on our workplaces, and that uh, as a result, we'll, we'll see many people come to, uh, come to know you through, through our study here. We ask all of this in your name.